Good afternoon. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 13. And whenever I preach the first Sunday of the month, I realize I got mashed potatoes and gravy to deal with. So I know it's my duty to preach the Word of God. I think it's also my duty to keep you awake. So if you fall asleep, that's my fault. Try not to. Matthew 13, and I will begin reading in verse 53. This is the word of the living God. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not with us all? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now this is a parallel passage with Mark chapter 6. If you're taking notes, you can refer to that. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, records the same incident. And Luke gives it a larger body of work in in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And so what I'm going to do is I will preach the context, preach the text, and preach the conclusion as well as application. And so I'll begin right here with verse 53, and this gives the context. Jesus had been teaching in Capernaum through parables. He taught the sower and the seed. He taught of wheat and tares, the separation of the wicked from the righteous. He spoke on leaven about how the kingdom of God is expanding. He also preached the parable of hidden treasure as well as the pearl of great price to show the great value of the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as the dragnet of fish, which again is a picture of the separation of the wicked from the righteous. So he leaves Capernaum. He goes to Nazareth, which is about 20 miles, and Nazareth is his hometown. Uh, Luke says this is where he was brought up. In Luke chapter 4, says this is where he was brought up. So this is the place where our Lord, who was a boy, became a man. And now he returns. This is his second time that he's going to Nazareth. And as his custom was in verse 54... When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Nazareth is a pretty small town. They only had one synagogue. And so he goes there and he preaches. He teaches. And his audience, they were Jews. They were also the religious leader. The the scribes as well as the Pharisees were there. And they were surprised and amazed, but not in a good way. Since Jesus was not schooled by the Jewish doctors or by the leaders of the people, the natural question is, where is he schooled? Where did this man get this wisdom and mighty works? When you see wisdom and mighty works, it's basically his teaching as well as his miracles. And it would appear 
there's going to be several questions that they will ask, and I'll throw it at you, and I will be redundant for a reason for the questions, because this is their way that they operate, the, the, the religious leaders. Sadly, though, the religious leaders' way of being offended at our Lord seems to have affected the people. His miracles were undeniable, indisputable. In fact, our Lord states in John, if you do not believe me, at least believe my works, at least believe my miracles. So this question that they ask appears to be a rhetorical question. And sometimes rhetorical questions need to be answered. I'm not going to answer it quite yet, though. The question that they ask is, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They overlooked, the, the, the people as well as the leaders overlooked what our Lord had done in terms of his miracles as well as his teaching. They overlooked it. They do not even conclude correctly or make right use of what our Lord had done. Um, it's it's going to get a little ridiculous here. What our Lord did and what they respond, how they respond. So they did ask the question. And what they do is they now begin to attack his family. Attack his family? Why would they do that? Well, they had a thought process that... If your father was a teacher, you obviously can be a teacher. If your siblings were teachers and prominent, then you can be a teacher. You're probably going to be taught somewhere along the line, whether it's at home or in their schools. But because of the fact that Joseph was a worker of wood, the question they ask is, is is this not the carpenter's son? The answer is yes. I would say, yes, so what? But yes, it's a, it's an, a legitimate uh, business that he did, a legitimate vocation, and yet they use it as a knock against our Lord. The next question they ask, what about his mother? I mean, after all, she's not Queen Mary. She's not the prophetess Mary. She's just plain old Mary and his brothers. They're not prominent teachers. They're not prominent leaders. His brothers and sisters are not prophets and prophetesses. This is just a carpenter's son. And as a result of that, he wasn't schooled in any of our schools. Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get this knowledge? Now, the Pharisees were famous for asking questions at the wrong time. Remember in John chapter 9, our Lord heals a man that was born blind. The neighbors ask him, is this, is this the guy that was born blind and now he sees? Some said, well, he looks like him. Others said, well, it might be him. He said, I am he. So now they bring him to the Pharisees. Oh, that, that, now he's really done it. He went and got healed. He can see now. Instead of the, the Pharisees rejoicing, they start asking, well, what happened to you? And they didn't believe him. They did not believe him when he said that a man named Jesus, healed his eyes. He can see now. And they say, well, where's your parents? We don't believe you. Parents come. Parents are afraid. They say, he's of age. You can ask him. They do again. And they keep asking him the same question over and over again. And he's got the audacity to answer the question. 
And then he says the Pharisees pronounce a judgment on him and they excommunicate him. In John chapter 7, the religious leaders have given the order to the officers to go and arrest Jesus. The officers come back without him. They ask, why didn't you bring him? They said, no man teaches like this. And they begin to assault those who defended our Lord, even Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, doesn't the law say we should hear from the man? And then they, they, let me read it here. This is what they said. This is how they answer Nicodemus, because he says, does not our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has risen out of Galilee. They are jumping to the conclusion because his brothers, his sisters, his mom, his dad was not very prominent. Where did, where did this man get this knowledge? Where did he come up with doing these miracles? How, how is that? They're not making any sense at all by asking these questions. Because you answer the questions, yes, yes, yes. But they're jumping to the conclusion that a man that's born in a family is identical to all his siblings. That just isn't so. So many, we're all different. We are not identical people when we come out of the womb and as we go on in our life. Some do manual labor, some work with the pen. I'm sure that David's brothers, not being royalty, didn't stop him from being king. So their reasoning just doesn't make sense. But what they do do very well is they ask a lot of questions. They appear to be rhetorical questions. The answer to that question, our Lord said, where did this man get these things? Got him from his father in heaven. That's what he said. Got him from his father in heaven. And instead of them receiving him for his miracle's sake, they're offended at him. In verse 57, that's how it begins. So they were offended at him just because his relations were not prominent teachers. He was not schooled in their school. He didn't sit at their feet and learn from them. But our Lord learned this information this truth, being able to prophetically lay out God's word and heal came from God the Father. You have to say that. But they were offended at him. And I would submit to you, they're probably offended at him out of envy. I mean, no one taught like this man. Thousands followed our Lord. And his miracles were indisputable. I'm going to go over those miracles. This is amazing what our Lord has done in a very short period of time. But these Jewish leaders just didn't have the spirit of God. And the crowds followed our Lord. The leaders saw that and they were envious of that. Which gets us to how our Lord reasons with them. At the second part of verse 57, he says, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Our Lord doesn't attempt to reason with their prejudices. He doesn't try to get into an argument with them using the same reasoning that I just used. He doesn't attempt to do that at all, but he basically quotes a proverb or a, a saying that was very well known. And we have that saying today. It's called familiarity breeds contempt. Some of you have heard that before? Well, good, okay, two or three. Familiarity, being familiar with a relation or close with someone breeds contempt. Contempt's a pretty strong word. It's to look at others, look down on them because they are less than you. Familiarity breeds contempt. Here, our Lord 
says a prophet is shown honor everywhere except in his own house and in his own city or country. Now, this is not absolute. Many a times the prophets were not regarded anywhere that they went. When our Lord in Matthew 11 has gone through Capernaum, he's gone through Chorazin and Bethsaida, he puts a woe on them. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So he, our Lord did go to places that he was not familiar with and yet was not received. Now, of course, my intention is not to devote an entire message on the exception to the proverb, but just to deal with the proverb, what our Lord is saying here is that it is common for a prophet or a preacher to go to a place where he is very well known and for the people to be offended at him. He says it's common. I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get to our conclusions and application. But I want you to notice that there's a great amount of unbelief here in verse 58. It says, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6, the parallel passage, it says that he marveled, that's our Lord, he marveled because of their unbelief. When you consider our Lord's ministry, his preaching, his healing, his truth, and then for people not to believe, I mean, let's take a look at the body of work that our Lord has done up to this point right here. He goes all throughout Galilee, preaching openly. He goes to their places of worship. He heals all kinds of sickness and diseases, and I'll mention those here in a minute. I'll get specific. His fame is throughout all Syria, Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan, because he doesn't do his preaching in a corner. He's preaching openly. For all to hear him and to marvel at his teaching. Look at his healing power. Thousands follow him, and as they are following him, he cleanses a leper. Okay, We just read in our Bibles like we're reading from a reference book. Oh yeah, the Lord healed this man of leprosy. He healed him of leprosy. We don't know very much about leprosy, but I've read up a little bit on it. When you got leprosy, that was it. They... Back in the day, they relegated you to a leper colony. The leprosy is just about healed up, but he healed a leper. He cleansed him. He healed a servant of a centurion. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. A demon-possessed man is healed. He is cleansed from that demon. He heals and forgives one who is paralyzed. His friends lowered him down into a room that was so crowded. Our Lord forgave him of his sins, and he healed him right there in front of all those people. Raises a girl from the dead. Two blind men are given sight by this Jesus of Nazareth. The mute speaks. He heals a man with a withered hand. And I have barely scratched the surface of what he did. Not everything that our Lord did up to this point could be recorded. All Matthew, Mark, and Luke did was highlight. Some things. It's amazing. Okay? Eventually, 
later on he's going he's to feed 5,000 men and then 4,000 men. View and marvel at these works that our Lord has done. And this is well known, well known. And now the pinnacle of unbelief, the Pharisees say, we want to see a sign. You want to see a sign? When I just named some of the things that our Lord did, they want to see a sign. If it wasn't so serious, it would be funny. But to take our Lord and put him under a microscope and judge him, we want to see a sign. Wait a minute, who's in charge here? Can you do half the things that our Lord has done at all? And you want to see a sign? No wonder our Lord marveled at their unbelief. So much light given to the religious leaders as well as the common people of Nazareth. And they were offended and they rejected our Lord, the Lord of glory, I might add. The result appears to be a judgment. Notice here it says he did not do many mighty works there. God's hands were not tied. However, unbelief was not going to be rewarded here. And as a result, the justice of God, he could not do any mighty, he would not do any mighty works there at all. So that is briefly the text. And I do have some conclusions for us to make in the time that's remaining. And the first conclusion I'd like to make is that many these days are offended at the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are offended at the Christian faith and for various reasons. One of them could be someone who was outwardly wicked in the family, and they were, he was known as being very outwardly wicked, and he becomes a Christian. Now he begins to talk to his family about their need of having their sins forgiven by the Son of God. And their reason is, you mean to say you, being much more wicked than us, you're going to preach to us the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, you needed to be saved. You really did. And yet this familiarity didn't do them any good at all. Small, humble beginnings sometimes are an offense. And one of the reasons why those families are offended or why others are offended when someone that might be wicked, overly wicked, is converted is because of the hypocrite. The hypocrite who makes a profession of religion, but however, out of that same mouth proceed profanity, dirty jokes, doesn't join a church, is an immoral person, maybe a drunk. My brethren, our light should shine before men that they may see our good works. And that 
at times will be our preaching until a more opportune time for us to speak. Do remember that the folks there in Nazareth were offended at our Lord, not because of his sin. Maybe because of his relations, his father, his mother, his, his uh, siblings. But it wasn't because of his sin, it was because of his righteousness. And we can learn much from our Lord by how he lived before his countrymen. They could not ever accuse him of sin, ever. And that's a good example for us to be. If we have had a very checkered past, so to speak, it's important for us to live before them in such a way that they would see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Uh, The next thing I'd like us to conclude or to apply is I want you to view the body of work done by our God throughout the ages. The Bible has endured these centuries and still testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ's gospel, especially when you take a look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Remember, the Bible that we have in our hands didn't start here in America. It started on the other side of the world over 2,000 years ago. God was able to preserve his word to come here to us heathens, and the Lord has saved us. Consider as well our Lord's empty tomb that's been preached for over 2,000 years in churches all over America. Consider as well the 2,000 years of Christian conversions, people who have come to Christ from so many different backgrounds, races, and creeds, and false religions, Romanism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, uh, the New Age, the Eastern religions of Hindus, and Buddhists, the drunk, the drug addict, the religious, the hyper-religious person that's still unconverted. And look at how the Lord has saved all of them, even the prominent businessmen, politicians, the pro-athlete, the rich, the poor, the middle class, the young, the old, and yet many are offended at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the testimony that God has done throughout the years, even in their families. And we should, in one sense, marvel in a bad way at the unbelief, the unbelief that continues on. If there's any here that is not, are not Christians, what can I say? Look at the evidence around you of of God's mercy and grace in saving family and friends and all different kinds of people. Christ's gospel is expansive. It's like leaven. It's spreading. It still continues to spread. It may look like so many are unbelieving, but look at how many are believing. The many churches that we pray for, the many churches in our area, even in our local association, there is such a wonderful testimony of the salvation of God. Look at this body of work, and we should be amazed. We should be grieved at the unbelief. Unless we become prideful, we would all be in that same boat of perishing in our sins if it wasn't for God's gracious dealings with us. He saved us. That's the great thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves to save sinners. And it doesn't matter where you came from or what family you were in, even if your father was a carpenter or an accountant or whatever it may be. Sorry, son. But 
It's wonderful to see how the Lord saves his people from their sins. No one is beyond his reach. I may have committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I very I doubt very seriously that you said that Jesus has an unclean spirit. And that appears to be a sin that was committed back then that don't allow that to stop you. Come to the Lord. Kids, believe upon Christ. Keep praying that God would save you until he does. Show you your sin. And look at this great evidence that you have. You have parents to take care of you. Again, consider how gracious God has been towards us. That should make us to be a humble people, a compassionate people, and a gracious people. Even our Lord here, even though he didn't do many mighty works, he doesn't get into a fist fight with, with the Nazarenes, with the Nazareth people, however, however you pronounce it. Anyway, and then lastly, we should be amazed in a good way by God's recorded means, the word of God. We should be amazed as we read of Jesus of Nazareth with his teaching, with his miracles, his work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. We should be amazed when we read of Jesus raising a girl from the dead or Lazarus from the dead or he raised himself from the dead. We should be amazed as we see Jesus' authority to forgive sins to the one who is paralyzed. Your sins are forgiven you. Or to the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me in paradise. We should be amazed. We shouldn't read our Bibles like I mentioned, like you're reading a phone book or something. This is God's revelation to us. As we read and we see these things really did happen. Do we believe that? We believe that. And therefore, that will make our Bible reading more profitable. We won't just be doing, oh, i got to do my devotions, get my 20 minutes in. Let me see here. You know, and you've got your eye on the clock. All right, and he raises a girl from the dead. All right, there. Okay, and he was raised from the dead. Okay, I'm done. I'm sure I'm oversimplifying that. But we should read our Bibles with amazement, with, with the idea that God is speaking to us, and he is. He speaks to us especially now using unprofitable servants as us to proclaim his truth, there should be some amount of amazement on our part to hear God's truth. Wait a minute, I can be forgiven of my sins? I am forgiven of my sins? We try to do this at the end of every service to say, brethren, the good news is your sins are forgiven you. That's great news. That, that doesn't mean we have to have this certain um, experience every time we read our Bibles. I'm, I'm not preaching that, but there should be some degree of thankfulness, amazement, of worship towards God when we crack our Bibles and read them and when the Word of God is preached. There should be some engagement on our parts here. Our hearts should be somewhat involved in giving thanks to God for saving us, thanks to God for the truth that He gives to us, how He reveals Himself to us. There should be some measure of that. When we consider that, it might have a great effect as well upon the unbelieving around us to say, my sins are forgiven me. What are you, Jesus freak? I'm a freak, but I'm, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my sins have been forgiven me. And that is a wonderful truth for us to hang on to. And um, again, 
thankful that even though when we may have first heard the gospel and we may have been offended at it, the Lord did not give up. He still kept at us until we finally believed. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you for being merciful unto us. We thank you. It is you who has saved us. We're thankful you were much more willing to save us than we were. And we thank you and praise you for your son's righteousness, which is now our righteousness. We give you thanks and praise you for the mercies that you've shown to us. You've extended our life. You've granted unto us eternal life in your son. And we praise you and thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that your hold on us is much better than our hold on to you. We cling to you now. We give you thanks. And we look forward now as we partake of the Lord's Supper to do all of this in remembrance of what our Savior has done on our behalf. Hear our prayers, do good to our souls, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen.